Hello, you're listening to Life Chat, a podcast produced by Illinois Right to Life. My name is Dr. Steve Jacobs. I'm the program director here. Today, I am here with our executive director, Amy Gerke. Amy, can you start us off by introducing yourself and telling us a bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I'm Amy Gerke, as you said. Um, I am absolutely thrilled to be here in Illinois. Uh, like I've told a lot of people, I'm probably the only human in the United States who's really, really excited to be moving to Chicago and taking on the Illinois political machine and uh, moving the needle towards life here in our state. And if you wouldn't mind uh, just taking us uh, back a bit further, what, what would you say is your first pro-life memory? Let's go way back. Way right? back. Okay, that is <laughs> that is way back. So um, uh, growing up, uh, my family lived in Los Angeles, except for a brief stint in New York. Um, we were a big city family growing up. And so imagine my surprise one day when my father came home and said, that's it. I've had it with city life. We're moving to Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh and God. so anyway, um, uh, in growing up, we weren't a bad family. We just weren't a church-going family. Uh, religion and, and anything like that really weren't part of our life at all. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, uh, another thing my father announced, and you know, with my mother's 100% support, is that we were going to go start going to church when we moved to Arkansas. Then a few days later, he said, you know, I'm really concerned about the abortion issue. I'm going to, you know, and there's not really a strong pro-life presence in Fort Smith. So I'm going to, I'm going to take that on as well. And so really? at that point, I thought, you know, my goodness, my parents have gone off the deep end. I was 12. So everything they did at that point in my life was stupid. So <laughs> anyway, um, fast forward, uh, we moved to Fort Smith. And um, actually, my reaction wasn't that I thought that working in the pro-life movement was bad or anti-woman. I just thought it was unnecessary. I didn't realize at that point in my life, how devastating abortion was to our culture. Mm. And, um, you know, this was the late 70s. Roe versus Wade was only a few years old. Yeah. And um, it, as most people know, at that point in our nation's history, the abortion rate was just climbing exponentially. So I kind of saw why it was important. And then um, uh, a few years later, uh, 1982, 83, my dad came home with a copy of the Silent Scream, which I'm sure a lot of our older listeners are very familiar with. And um, that just shook me to the core. Not only the horrifically brutal death of the unborn child, but the abortion procedure itself just seemed so anti-woman and so degrading. It was, I was just stunned. So, um, Fast forward, that was junior high. Fast forward to high school. Um, I began volunteering at the Arkansas Oklahoma State Fair, sitting at the fair booth. Um, a lot of things that many people did, you know, when they first started in the pro life movement. Um, then uh, when I went to away to college, I witnessed firsthand how the abortion industry completely manipulates women and. Mm. Uh, takes advantage of women when they are absolutely at their most vulnerable. And that experience, again, just really hit home. Not only does abortion brutally take the life of an unborn child who 
will never exist on this earth again. It is so anti-woman. It's so degrading to women. And this, and basically the abortion industry is a billion dollar industry that profits from women when they're at their most vulnerable through the deaths of their children. And it's just absolutely an unthinkable reality of our culture. Mm. What, what a stark moment it must have been for you when you were younger. So <laughs> You, you had probably not heard much about abortion. Oh, no, nothing at all. I didn't know anything your, about it. Your father comes home and says he's going to be a crusader for life. Exactly, right? exactly. And then it sounds like you had a slow process of just learning about the issue. And mm -hmm. so what do you what do you think it was that really captured you in terms of how particularly anti-woman the, the pro-abortion industry was? Did you just notice this in the rhetoric that people used? Because I'm sure growing up you encountered a lot of pro-abortion people. Yes. So if you could share a little more about that. Yes. Um, well, one of the things that my um, my father and his brother, my Uncle Bill, did <laughs> in Fort Smith, well, they started a local chapter, um, a local pro-life organization, West Ark Right to Life. Okay. And uh, they also helped establish a pregnancy resource center as well oh. as a home for pregnant women. Oh, and it really hit home that... Uh, uh, Everybody, every story I heard about women having an abortion, there was no choice. Mm. They went to the abortion industry. They were given an abortion, a bag of birth control, and sent merrily on their way. There was mm. no follow-up. There was no support whatsoever. They really were given no choices. As, right. you know, as most people know, the counseling that's given at abortion clinics really is a joke. And to me, it was the pro-life movement that was really given, giving women choices, really giving them what they needed to choose life. And um, uh, yeah, as I said, you know, the, in college, it just really hit home when I saw firsthand how terrifying an unplanned pregnancy can be and how the abortion industry, all they want is to take your money and, you know, and kill your baby. To, mm. to be really, really blunt. And um, I knew that something had to be done. And um, another thing was that, you know, I cannot thank my father enough. He's, he's really the reason that I'm on the, I've been on the pro-life journey I've been on my entire life, mm. but he really um, uh, made clear how abortion has hurt our society because mm. abortion was supposed to reduce child abuse it was supposed to reduce poverty it was supposed to do all of these wonderful things for our society when in oh. fact you know it's done the complete opposite and right. he was the first one to explain the slippery slope it starts with abortion and then you know who's the next victim on the list and as we've seen the abortion industry has gone from wanting abortion to be safe, legal, and rare to, mm -hmm. in some cases, advocating for outright infanticide. Yeah. So, you know, the slippery, slippery slope concept that my dad and my uncle explained to me, you know, when I was just a 13-year-old, really mm -hmm. hit home. And, you know, now that the shadow of my life is getting longer and longer, <laughs> it's really easy to see how... Yeah how abortion is just such a scourge on our society. Um, you know, even here in Chicago, I mean, the violence is out of control. Yeah. And, you know, and in many other American cities, and you can really tie it back to a complete lack of respect for the family, for human life, for women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, violence begets violence. And you can see that with abortion. Wow, there's, there's so much there. Um, but yeah, just starting off with your fantastic point about 
them just um, marching unimpeded these ideologues mm-hmm. down their path and how often they'll say, so 1965, they legalized birth control. Right. Um, and the Supreme Court said that this was a privacy right. And they acted as if at the time, oh, well, this has nothing to do with abortion. Right. This is just about birth control. And then they use that precedent to get Roe v. Wade, right? Exactly. And uh, But I also love this point about essentially they defended abortion rights with these hypotheses or these theories mm-hmm. about what will be the benefit, right? Right. Women will stop dying in back alley abortions, right? Quote, unquote. Right. That will fix poverty, all the things that you mentioned. And in a way, well, now we've had almost 50 years and none of that has been proven true. And it's only gotten worse, right? Right. Well, and um, as you know, the entire Roe versus Wade decision was predicated on a lie, or well, on lies, plural, one of which <laughs> was tens of thousands of women were dying in back alley abortions, yeah. which um, is absolutely not true. Um, uh, most illegal abortions were performed in physicians clinics yep. and you know not that that makes it okay but um there was so much hyperbole and so many myths myth mistruths yes. about the, <laughs> about abortion and and illegal abortion and so forth and it, absolutely you know the the old argument holds true you know, robbing a bank is really dangerous. Why don't we make it legal so it, you know, <laughs> so it's safe for people to rob right. banks? You know, right. the same same philosophy. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and so even it's a lie. even if it were true, it wouldn't matter. Right. But. Well, and I mean, the thing that's so ridiculous is abortion is one of the most dangerous medical procedures women can undergo, especially here in Illinois, mm. as the Reproductive Health Act, you know, basically stripped away, you know, even basic standards standards for monitoring and regulating clinics so right. you know this is supposed to be a pro-woman law when they're you know, they're not protecting women at all here in yeah. illinois with you know with any of the uh, with anything to make this horrible procedure even safe of course it's never safe for the unborn child sure, but sure. i mean the law in this state is insane and I, I really think that says something big about how dangerous the rhetoric is, right? Yes, so like absolutely. So you said, in, in somehow defending a woman's right to choose, they make the argument, you know, I was doing air quotes, so sorry, mm, listeners right, right. could know that, um, that they, they would be able to then say, well, abortion clinics shouldn't be monitored by the state government. They shouldn't have to be registered. They shouldn't have to be inspected mm-hmm. in the name of women's health or women's safety. You know, as you mentioned, the infanticide law, uh, somehow Elizabeth Warren made the claim that uh, having a law that that requires doctors to provide life-saving care to infants who survive abortion, that that's a threat to women's rights. It's a threat to her right to choose. <laughs> yeah, right. Which right. I don't understand how that works. Well, but. and, you know, it actually, you know, goes against what they're trying to say. The outcome of abortion is a dead baby, either yeah. inside the womb or outside the womb. And, you know, the fact that they're willing... To put babies who survive abortions in a closet to die shows just how absolutely unthinkable abortion is and mm. what's really, really happening. So, yeah. Mm. On that note, let's. Uh, I want to thank you for that introduction. I think we got a pretty good sense of the trajectory, but I know there's a lot more meat on that bone. Uh, but first, I uh, before we discuss the work you've done mm-hmm. in the movement, uh, to our listeners, I just want to thank you for your support of our podcast. If you have any feedback on the program, or if you would like to recommend future guests on the show, please let us know by emailing us at, Illinois, at info at IllinoisRightToLife.org. 
Uh, so now, Amy, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to really sink into the, the specific work because this has been your career mm-hmm. for, uh, is it eight years since you graduated college? Um, actually 10 years, oh, over 10, 10 years. years. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so you've been in the, in the movement for a minute. Um, what, what was the first job that you took, um, in terms of your career in the pro-life movement? So, um, you know, as I said, uh, my father was a great inspiration. I had always been pro well, not always, I had been pro-life since I was about 13. Um, so I, uh, attended college at the University of Oklahoma and, um, majored in journalism and advertising. And, um, even though I, you know, I, kind of understood why my parents wanted to get out of the big city and get back to small town life. They both are from very small towns. Anyway, um, from the time we moved from Los Angeles to Fort Smith, Arkansas, my singular goal in life was to get out of Fort Smith, Arkansas (laughs) and back to California. So I did everything you were supposed to do. I had a great mentor at OU and he introduced me to a lot of people with agencies, both in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And that was my plan to Mm. do agency work and, you know, have a career doing marketing and advertising. So, um, Anyway, uh, you know, it's about April of my senior year in college, and all of these great leads that I had at agencies out on the West Coast, just one by one by one, fell through. And Mm. so I was sitting in my apartment one afternoon, you know, thinking, what am I going to do with my life? And the phone rang, and um, it was a friend of my father's who had been with Arkansas Right to Life, who was now with National Right to Life in Washington, who called and said, hey, Amy, I hear you're graduating with a degree in journalism and marketing. Do you, you know, would you be interested in uh, interviewing for this new position? Hmm. And, you know, I was kind of stunned and said (laughs) yes. And so um, I found myself a week and a half later on a plane to Washington, D.C. to interview for that job. (laughs) Um, I was offered the job on the spot and I went back to Norman, Oklahoma, thinking, holy cow, what have I done? I'm moving to Washington, D.C. to do pro-life work. (laughs) Talk about another culture shock. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) That was that was a big jump. I didn't know anybody in Washington save my dad's friend. And so um, anyway, but that those ended up being 10 of the best years of my life. I Mm. absolutely loved pro-life work. as any anybody who spent time in Washington D.C. as a recent college graduate knows, that's a great place to, to be a young person. Wow. Um, I had a lot of fun. Felt like um, you know I was able to work with my colleagues and achieve a lot of good. Um, met my husband there. Got married there. We had both of our daughters there. And oh. when uh, Emily, our youngest, was about six months old. We decided that we didn't want to raise our family in Washington, D.C. Um, mm. You know, you you live to work. You don't work to live there. And we wanted to actually see our children instead of working till 7 or 8 o'clock every night. And so um, uh, uh, we knew we wanted to be close to family. And I didn't want to go back to Fort Smith, Arkansas. So we ended up in the Milwaukee area where my mm. husband is originally from. So... Um, when I left, my attitude was, I've done my duty to the pro-life movement. <laughs> I'm done with that. And, um, you know, God always knows what's better for us than we do. <laughs> so um, long, long story short, um, I uh, when I left D.C., my pro-life friends who had 
left D.C. before me said, you know, the state organizations, the state people will know you're there and they will find you. Mm. And um, I had been blessed to do a lot of work with Wisconsin Right to Life during my time at National Right to Life. And um, uh, Barbara Lyons, the former executive director, contacted me and um, started doing some pro bono communications and marketing work for them while I was staying home with uh, our two girls. A few years later, when I realized being a stay-at-home mom was was not my favorite thing in the world, <laughs> God bless all of you who do that in homeschool. I have so much admiration for you. Anyway, a few years later, I got a job offer to work for a state senator at the Wisconsin State Capitol doing oh, wow. pro-life legislation for him. Um, cool. uh, uh I'm uh, trying to think what next. What's next? <laughs> After that, um, uh, I went to work for a few years, uh, working in healthcare marketing. Transitioned mm. to healthcare fundraising during that time. Also during that time, I was on the board of directors for Wisconsin Right to Life, mm-hmm. and um, loved being a part of that organization. Then in late 2014, uh, I got a call from the new executive director at Wisconsin Right to Life and was invited to interview for their director of development position. Um, Took that job, what did uh, fundraising for Wisconsin Right to Life for about six years, and now I'm here. So I love what you said. This is so interesting. So we've talked about your past before, but I never connected the dots like I did today. So it all it all came clear when you said, you know, when God makes a plan, it's like it doesn't always work according to our plan, but He has His plan, right? Uh-huh. So what I'm hearing is. God had it that you trained in marketing, that you <laughs> developed that skill set. You used it for the pro-life movement. You went to another sector where you learned development. Yeah, right. Was. Well, and um, the thing that I always think is the legislative work, too. It just, yeah. you know, through no plan of my own, I, like, have experience in all three of the major facets that one oh, wow. needs to do. for so. And I often hear this from leaders in the pro-life movement to young people, and this is something that was told mm-hmm. to me uh, by actually uh, a former executive director of Illinois Right to Life that it's so important for young people to go into other spheres and to develop the skill set that they can then bring back to the pro-life movement. Absolutely. And here you had in the three big spheres of running a pro-life organization or contributing to the movement, mm-hmm. you had been given that training. No, absolutely. And I could not have planned that myself right. at all. And uh You know, everybody here on our team, you, everybody else has heard me say a million times, I did not at all plan on being an executive director. I didn't think I ever (laughs) wanted to be an executive director. Um, I didn't plan on coming to Illinois. Um, uh, My husband is, you know, born and bred Wisconsin boy, and he's (laughs) horrified about living in Illinois, but he'll get over it. (laughs) Um, But... uh, but yeah, I, um, you know, I, I heard about this job and it just seemed like God was really pushing me to yeah. apply. And, and from multiple people. From multiple people. Yeah, yeah. So it was almost like confirmation. Exactly. No, I, I heard about this job from a friend in Iowa. Then I heard about it from a friend in Houston. Mm. Then I heard about it from a friend up in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Wow. And um, then I was on the phone <laughs> with a good friend of mine from here in the Chicago area. And she was really pushing me to apply for this job. And I was like, after I got off the phone with her, I was like, fine, God, I'll apply (laughs) for this job. And here I am. So clearly he had a plan. And I just hope that I 
um, wise enough to listen to him and follow his guidance and steering the ship in the right direction. I love it. And I think there's really something to be said about the humble, reluctant leader. Because make no mistake, countless people applied for the job. Very talented people applied for the job. Mm -hmm. And you were deemed the right person. I can personally attest to the fact that you are the right person. Oh, well, thank you. So <laughs> I, not, not that for, for what it's worth, yeah. obviously. But uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I just think there's something just... For, for us to witness in that and, and for us to try to take that in our own lives, you know, myself as well as our listeners, to just kind of trust that, that things do mm -hmm. happen to work together for a reason. And sometimes it's important to pay attention to the signs that are around you. Right. Yeah. Um, our two daughters are 22 and 24 now. And since they were old enough to understand the Bible, I've been pushing Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust oh. in the Lord with all your heart yeah. and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And that is mm. so true. So... Oh, that's that's mm -hmm. just a beautiful message. And you're, you know, I think you're living proof of it. I think in a lot of ways, oh. my experience is just <laughs> that. And I, I think sometimes he, he works in certain ways when mm -hmm. there's something pressing. And I mean, what's more pressing than right. you know, taking care of the least of these, taking care of his children? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's great. So uh, let's actually segue. So Amy, I'd like to shift the conversation to more general discussion of the state of the abortion debate, as well as what you found was most important to work on in the pro-life movement. Uh, but first, to our listeners, I'd like to mention that the team at Illinois Right to Life has built a comprehensive database that proves the humanity of the unborn. WhenDoesLifeBegin.org has over 200 citations to scientific, legal, pro-life, and even pro-abortion sources and authorities that all affirm that a human's life begins at fertilization. Please feel free to visit and share the site broadly. At a time when only 9% of young Democrats know when life begins, and 29% of them believe that a human's life begins at birth, it is so important that we raise awareness on the humanity of the unborn and combat the science denial on when life begins. So Amy, if, mm. if you wouldn't mind, we'll, we'll kind of open the discussion up more, a, a little more broadly about what, so far what I've heard is particularly the damage on society and the damage on women. What would you say is the thing that most catches you? You know, if you've ever seen that, uh, that great movie about Johnny Cash, Walk the Line, if you only had one song to sing to the world so they understood why you were here on this earth, if you had, you know, one concept that you would want to beat that drum in terms of all of your time in the pro-life movement, what do you think is, is the biggest message you have to share? No pressure whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> How do you choose? I... I would say, um, I would, the thing that always jumps out at me is, is just how duplicitous the abortion industry is, mm. that it's all, that the whole industry, the, from the Roe versus Wade decision to the growth of the abortion industry, it's all based on lies. Mm. Um, the lie that, uh, you know, first it was the unborn child is just a clump of cells. Then comes along uh, ultrasound that proves that is undeniably, you know, not true. That it's, you know, that from the earliest days that every abortion, even chemical abortions, takes the life of an unborn child with arms and legs, a beating heart, you know, that it's a baby that dies. Yeah. 
Um, the lie that abortion is good for women. I mean, uh, the abortion industry has been very successful in weaponizing women's children mm. and making them the the thing that supposedly stands between them and success. I mean, uh, our society has bought the lie that in order for a woman to succeed, she has to be like a man, that mm. she can't have children, that she can't achieve her dreams or finish school or, right. you know, uh, conquer her goals with a child. And that is such a lie. And, uh, you know, the thing that really breaks my heart is, um, you know, sadly, my, my husband and I suffered several miscarriages and ectopic oh, pregnancies through our marriage. And um, even if you don't realize it, it, when a woman finds out that she's pregnant, there is instantly a connection with that unborn child, mm. you know, whether you acknowledge it or not. And, um, you know, whether women, and women always say that they're relieved after, not all women, but a lot of women say that they're relieved after they undergo an abortion. And, you know, if you're, if you think an abort, a, a pregnancy is untimely or so forth, yeah, the initial re reaction could be relief. But, you know, they don't talk to women a year after the abortion, five years after the yeah. abortion, 10 years after the abortion. And um, the level of heartbreak just is has to be earth shattering. Um, one time when I was still at National Right to Life back in the 90s, um, a coworker and good friend of mine and I both had miscarriages at the same time, right at the time that the, the FDA was working to legalize chemical abortions, to legalize RE486. And mm -hmm. the thing that she and I said to each other was, Oh my gosh, can you imagine if we had done this to ourselves? Ugh. What and I I couldn't even begin to wrap my head around it. And you know, and to be quite honest, this pregnancy, I got pregnant 2 months after my husband and I got married mm. and you know, if I'm honest, I have to say my initial reaction was I don't want to be pregnant right now. Mm. I want to have a couple of years of fun with Jim and blah blah right. blah. And then I was like, no, no, I'm going to be happy about this pregnancy. And then the second I miscarried, I was like, oh my god, what was I thinking? Oh. And I am sure that there are so many women who undergo an abortion and just think the same thing. Oh my god, what have I done? Yeah. Um, you know, we know that over sixty percent of women in some way feel coerced into having an abortion, be it pressure from a boyfriend, pressure from parents, pressure from their situation in life. You know, mm -hmm. there are all these women who really deep down, if they only knew that there was help, if they only mm. had somebody to encourage them and to let them know that they're strong enough and they're brave enough and they have it in them to choose life and achieve their yeah. dreams. And, um, that's one of the most important things I think we need to tell women because they bought these lies and the abortion industry has incredibly deep pockets. Their marketing budgets are, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars right. and the pro-life movement just doesn't have that. But, you know, one of, one of our goals here at Illinois Right to Life is to tell the truth, is to tell women the truth, you know, that there is help out there, that they can achieve their dreams, that the abortion industry has lied to them, that the Reproductive Health Act is bad for women and bad for Illinois. And mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of plans to get the truth out to the people of Illinois about what's really going on here and how the state is not only threatening the women here in our borders, but Illinois is a threat throughout 
to to the entire Midwest and oh, sure. to the entire country, in fact. Yeah. So I mean, especially without requiring one to prove that they're a resident in order to get a subsidized abortion, it could people be people from other countries. Exactly. I mean, there's exactly. no no limit on who would avail themselves of that option. Exactly. And I, I love what you mentioned about, you know, they try to manipulate with, with these statistics about let's say, uh, how many women are happy that they had an abortion a month after, but they don't follow up, right? Another thing that they don't discuss, which is actually in a similar study, the Turnaway study, I think it was upwards of 97% of those who were refused an abortion, so they weren't able to have one later on, which Mm -hmm. means they gave birth, that it was upwards of 97% were happy that they had the child. So what about that alternative, right? So those women who claim that, oh, well, I'm happy, that that could just be them trying to justify what they had done to cope with it, which is what we know from a lot of the abortion healing ministries. Right. Well, no, exactly, exactly. And um, we have uh, several people on our staff, yourself included, who have done sidewalk counseling. Mm -hmm. And anybody who has been in the pro-life movement or is just pro-life and has encountered uh, some women who are in the abortion industry or who support the abortion industry, they're so angry. They're just so, so angry. And, you know, my heart just breaks for them because you have to wonder what abortion experience, you know, either their own abortion experience or their participation in somebody else's has led to this anger and has led to this heartbreak, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, or even just, I mean, the mental gymnastics that one must go through to justify being pro-abortion, just, you know, when you think about it, it makes your head spin. So, yeah, like I've said a bunch of times now, abortion is just, it is a scourge on our culture. And that's how it works with any dehumanization process, right? So if you look at the 1800s, they had to invent a pseudoscience to try to convince us that African-Americans weren't humans Mm -hmm. like we were, you know, similar things in in Nazi Germany to try to dehumanize them. And I mean, when when you consider, like you said, and I'm still trying to work on this metaphor, I'm hoping at some (laughs) point I get a good one for it. But at the pro-life training tour, I try to explain that if I held up a phone that is clearly black, and they're trying to convince me that it's white, what kind of arguments could they make to convince me that it's white? They couldn't talk about the color of it because we know it's black, right? Right. They could say, well, you can't trust your lying eyes because you're a man. Mm-hmm. You know, you should have no opinion on what color it should be, right? They, they play all these games to try to disabuse us from our own ability to think or reason mm-hmm. through things. And exactly. Then, like you said, with the lies, I mean, so that back in the day they had used that, uh, and Bernard Nathanson admitted he lied about the five to 10,000. Yes, he just uh, m- made it up. They pulled yeah. a number out of the air. Yeah, and five sh- to 10,000 sounds good. Sure. And sure enough, Mary Calderon, who works for Planned Parenthood, she had come out and said, I think it was in the dozens or mm-hmm. the low hundreds that had died. And these were the women who actually, the very few who would uh, self-abort. Because like you said, it was over 90% of abortions actually took place in physicians' clinics. Right. Which is why we call them back alley abortion. You go through the back, back alley Back alley, didn't right? go to the doctor. And yeah, that's exactly. that's another misnomer. I mean, I, I remember talking to one pro-lifer who's been working the movement for 50 years. And when I explained that to him, he said... I never thought that. Like, I, whenever uh-huh. I hear black back alley abortion, and to this day, even when I hear it, even though I know it's a lie, I see an alley. 
No, exactly. It's I so think we all do. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's it's probably akin to the one uh, that uh, uh, Bruce Wayne's parents got shot in. Exactly. Batman, no, you know. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> actually, I don't know if I should share this story or not. When I lived in Washington, D.C., and my uh, co-workers and I would go out on the weekend or after work, whenever we would walk by a scary Washington, oh, no. D.C. alley, we'd say, yep, that's where we're sending women. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah. No, the thing about working in the pro-life movement. But yeah. you have to have a sense of humor you or really else you'll do. just, you'll, your head will explode. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, no, the, the lies are just absolutely mind numbing. And the fact that they say that they're helping women when it's, it's pro-lifers who are, you know, providing, uh, you know, providing women with the practical things they need to have yeah. a baby who are giving them parenting skills who are teaching them how to manage money mm. and just everything you know prenatal to... tests and prenatal exactly vitamins. hundreds of millions a year are exactly given to women directly through prcs and then when you consider the work that even i mean we don't have a number for the fact that we at illinois right to life we've given out, given out over a half a million dollars in grants and yeah love. in project love grants exactly yeah that's one of the you know it's hugely fulfilling to to oh. see one of those grant requests come in and know that we're able to help a woman choose life or help young parents you know be better able to take care of their families so um yeah yeah, that's yeah. I just uh, I I feel so blessed to be at Illinois Right to Life. When I was going through the interview process, I was told that there was this phenomenal staff that I was going to inherit, and oh my goodness, I it was the truth. Everybody here is so dedicated. Um, it doesn't get paid nearly what they're worth. Works incredibly long hours just to to protect the most vulnerable around us. So yeah, I. I mean, I came into this organization very unbiased. I'm a little biased now, but yeah, this this everybody here is so dedicated and so talented and so smart and so just passionate about protecting the most vulnerable. And yeah, I can't speak for the rest of the team, but in terms of, you know, underpaid, the ability to spend all of my time working to protect the rights mm-hmm. of, of the preborn, right? The ability to not spend my time doing anything else. I mean, you cannot put a price on that. That's true. And uh, I mean, I I just have to say it's such a blessing to be a part of the team. And I I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but uh, so Amy, literally the first day she started, I don't know if she remembers this, but within two hours, I told her that it felt like there was never a time before she joined the team. It just (laughs) felt so right. And I mean, it just gets confirmed, you know, every, every day we work together. And it's, it's just such a blessing to be part of a team where you feel like, you're, you're all working together towards a common purpose. And I think that's that's also something you've done to cultivate the talent on the team. Um, and it's, it's just such a blessing, you know, just personally to say that. Well, thanks. You're, you're very kind. <laughs> um, so, Amy, is there anything else uh, pressing in terms of uh, your experience in the pro-life movement? Any other kernels of wisdom to share with our our listeners, I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast. Yeah, uh, kernels of wisdom. Oh my gosh, I don't know about that, but <laughs> I would, um, I would just say, you know, if if you're a pro life advocate, don't be afraid to speak up for life. Oh. Um, you know, I there are the thing that's great about being in the pro life movement, and the reason that I came back after you know 21 years ago, insisting I never would, is <laughs> that. Um, 
A, the people are wonderful, and B, it's nice to know that you're not the only one out there who feels this way. And C, pro-life people are the most wonderful, generous, kind-hearted, just good people Mm. that you'll you'll ever be around. But, um, you know, one of the challenges is we need to find more pro-life people and make pro-lifers just unafraid to speak out. So... Um, you know, speak the truth. We as pro-lifers have the truth on our side. And I mean, it is absolutely undeniable. And, you know, do whatever you feel led to do. I mean, if it's praying outside of an abortion clinic, if it is coming in here to help us volunteer, if to help us by volunteering, if it is writing a letter to the editor, um, if it's donating to Illinois Right to Life, that's all. <laughs> that's that doesn't all. hurt. That, and that never hurts. We could really, really use your financial support. But whatever you feel led to do to build up the cause of life, don't be afraid. Speak out. Um, this is really the watershed issue of our time because without the right to life, all, of our, all other rights are completely meaningless. And, you know, if we're killing the most vulnerable members of our society, um, chaos is going to follow. Mm. Well, I will not be able to top that. Thank you for that, Colonel <laughs> Wisdom, and that is so true. Um, Amy, thank you so much for joining Life Chat today. Speaking for myself and the rest of the team, we want to thank you once again for joining us and for leading our team. And to our listeners and supporters, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please visit our website, IllinoisRightToLife.org and consider donating to support this podcast and the other work we do to protect life. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time.